Welcome to The Markets, Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, July 10. Hello again, Orion Samuelson. I promise I will not say COVID-19 more than two dozen times during our broadcast this week. And later on, I'll be joined by Max Armstrong, who'll take a look at the week's agricultural trade. And uh, he'll be talking to Arlen Suderman, one of our favorite analysts. He's with Stonex Group. That's a new name for International FC Stone. It's now the Stonex Group, and we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But first of all, let's look at Wall Street. Let's head for the stock market because the uh, markets today moved higher. A positive analysis on Gilead Sciences' antiviral drug to treat COVID-19 helped to soothe investors' worries over a second increase in coronavirus cases in the United States that hit a record today. The Nasdaq posted its sixth record-closing high in seven days, but the index underperformed both the Dow and the S&P 500 in a reversal of the recent trend. The S&P 500 financials index rose 3.5%. That was the leading sector gains and giving the S&P 500 its biggest boost. Bank of America shares increased 5.5%. Citigroup jumped 6.5%. And J.P. Morgan climbed 5.5% ahead of their financial results, which they'll be announcing next week. And that will mark the beginning of the second quarter earnings season. Rob Hayworth, Senior Investment Strategist at U.S. Bank Wealth Management in Seattle, said there was a rotation from winners into laggards in today's trade with the earnings period just around the corner. And the United States registered the largest single-day increase in COVID-19 infections globally for the second day in a row, forcing Americans to take new precautions. Gilead's remdesivir significantly improved clinical recovery and did reduce the risk of death in COVID-19 patients. Additional data from a late-stage study showed that as the market opened this morning, the drug maker shares climbed 2.2%. As it said, the finding required confirmation in clinical trials. And Charlie Ripley, Senior Investment Strategist for Alliance Investment Management in Minneapolis, said, That kind of dampens some of the concern that's been building over the past few days around the increased virus cases, particularly in the southern states. So for the day, the Dow Industrial Average climbed 369 points. That's 1.44%. Ended the day and the week at 26,075. The S&P 500 gained 33 points. That's a little over 1% to end the week at 3,185. And the NASDAQ composite added 69 points. That's two-thirds of a percent to end the week at 10,617.44 for the week. The Dow was up 1%, the S&P 500 gained 1.8%, and the NASDAQ jumped 4%. 
but overall profits for S&P 500 companies are expected to fall in more than 40% in the second quarter, which would be the biggest quarterly decline since the financial crisis. The first coronavirus cases in the United States were identified in January, and within weeks, much of the economy was shut down to slow the spread, throwing millions of Americans into unemployment, and companies across a wide range of industries have been dealing with the aftermath ever since. But despite that, the S&P 500 is up more than 40% from its March bottom, and that's thanks in part to economic data that has pointed to a revival in business activity in June. Carnival Corporation up 10.8% today after the cruise line operator said it was planning to resume operations in a phased manner and would operate with a smaller fleet on its return. Netflix rose 8% after Goldman Sachs hiked its price target on the video streaming services shares. And the S&P 500 posted 19 new 52-week highs and no new lows. The Nasdaq Composite recorded 85 new highs and 17 new lows today. And volume on the U.S. exchanges, 9.57 billion shares. That's compared with the 11.9 billion average for the full session over the last 20 trading days. Global markets, of course, reacted to action here in the United States, as they always do. And so the global equity benchmarks edged higher after struggling for direction for most of the day. And bond yields flatlined today as investors weighed a record number of new coronavirus cases in the United States against improving economic data in Europe and those positive signs from the Gilead Remdesivir drug. More than 60,500 new coronavirus infections were reported across the U.S. on Thursday, And that's the largest single-day tally by any country since the virus emerged late last year in China. The oil market, a slight increase in oil prices today as, uh, again, COVID-19 had its impact there. But oil prices climbed more than 2% after the International Energy Agency bumped up its 2020 demand forecast But at the same time, we had those record-breaking new coronavirus cases in the United States. And for the day, Brent crude settled up 89 cents. That's 2% at $43.24 a barrel. And U.S. oil settled up 93 cents or 2.4% to end the day at $40.55 a barrel. So uh, what do we watch for next week? Well, we start the earnings season again, and that will be interesting to see the numbers and to see the reaction. On Monday, PepsiCo's second quarter revenue is expected to show a drop as sales of beverages to restaurants, theaters, and sporting events came to a halt because of the stay-at-home restrictions. Sales of snacks made by PepsiCo, however, have likely gained as at-home consumption increases. 
So let's take a look at the rest of the week. And as I said, the banks will be the big reporters next week. J.P. Morgan Chase and Company expected to report that it took another several billion dollar charge to build its credit reserves for loans that could potentially go bad in the second quarter. Citigroup will report second quarter earnings on Tuesday. Executives will provide an update on their outlook for consumer and corporate credit as the coronavirus pandemic continues to disrupt the economy. Also on Tuesday, Wells Fargo and Company expected to report a steep decline in second quarter earnings thanks to falling interest rates and a deteriorating economic environment which will cut into the profit. Wednesday, Goldman Sachs Group expected to report second quarter profits declined as a surge in bond trading revenue could not offset weak mergers and acquisitions activity and advisory fees. And then on Thursday, we'll hear from Bank of America as it reports its second quarter earnings. And on Thursday, Morgan Stanley expected to report that second quarter profits fell, hurt by weakness in its advisory and wealth management businesses due to you-know-what, the pandemic uh, crisis that we're in. On the economic front next week, let's see what we're looking for there. The Labor Department Tuesday expected to show its consumer price index rising a tenth of a percent in May. And the Commerce Department report expected for release on Thursday expected to show retail sales increasing 5% in June following a surge of 17.7% in May. That was the biggest advance since the government started tracking the series in 1992. On Friday, University of Michigan's report expected to show its consumer sentiment index rising to a preliminary reading of 79 in early July, and that would be up from a final reading of 78.1 in June. The Labor Department report expected on Thursday will probably show initial claims for state unemployment benefits falling to one and a quarter million for the week ended July uh, 11. Another Labor Department report scheduled on Wednesday expected to show import prices rising 1% in June after a similar increase in May. Export prices expected to increase eight-tenths of a percent in June. That would be better than the month before. And then a Commerce Department report on Thursday will show they expect business inventories to be down 2.3% in April or in May, following a 1.3% drop in April. And uh, housing data scheduled for release by the Commerce Department on Friday, expected to say that housing starts likely rose to 1.16 million units in June, and that would be up from 974,000 in May. Federal Reserve issues its Beige Book of Economic Conditions in Washington on Wednesday. The governors, regional governors of the Federal Reserve will be busy on the speaking circuit, but it will be done basically virtually. Boeing Company, oh, 
that story just continues to be a tough one. Boeing Company expected to report a decline in monthly deliveries as the uh, travel bans caused by the pandemic hurt aircraft demand, forcing several carriers to defer jet shipments. And Delta Airlines kicks off the U.S. Airlines second quarter results season in what some analysts expected to be the worst quarter in aviation history after the pandemic virtually ground the global travel industry to a halt. I must say I did travel this week. I flew from Chicago O'Hare to Phoenix, Arizona. The uh, plane was probably a little under a half full, but the shock for me as often as I've flown in and out of O'Hare at Chicago was the emptiness of the terminal building when I arrived at 6 a.m. to catch my flight. The terminal building practically empty. They just weren't around. And uh, Delta Airlines will kick off the U.S. second quarter results season. And then Netflix is scheduled uh, to report, they think, an increase in second quarter revenue with a homebound audience opting for its streaming service in the absence of live sporting events and the theater situation. Johnson & Johnson. One of the companies racing to develop a coronavirus vaccine expected to report second quarter results on Thursday, and uh, United Health Group will be reporting second quarter results. Abbott Laboratories uh, reporting second quarter results. And uh, so we will have more than enough data to uh, take a look at. But again, the pandemic will probably override the impact that we see in the uh, quarterly earnings report. And so that's what we watch. But uh, we also will be watching agriculture. And there were a couple of reports out this week that uh, we'll take a look at. And uh, Max Armstrong is back with us with his guest. And uh, they'll be talking the markets when we continue on the markets. Orion here. And if you are looking to increase your profit per acre, and who isn't these days, then I urge you to check out Flora. F-L-U-R-A has cultivated premium genetic hemp strains from a company of innovators, farmers, and researchers that deliver the highest quality seeds and the infrastructure you need to support your farming operation. Call Jeffrey at 312-206-18. Check out Flora.com. In the wake of the government supply demand report, let's visit on this Friday afternoon with the chief commodities economist for Stonex Group. Joining us here is Arlen Suderman. Arlen, so many times after these summertime reports, the numbers are viewed, the numbers are quickly digested, and then we say, okay, now what's the weather forecast? What's coming our way? What's out there that could uh, affect the crop one way or another? Was that part of the reaction after the supply-demand numbers, especially in corn, where we did see a sell-off? That's exactly the reaction we saw today. And, in fact, the, the trade was leaning that way anyway. 
And excuse me, in the midday updates uh, for the GFS model, the American model, were coming out as the crop report came out. So as soon as the trade saw the crop report numbers, that there really weren't any big surprises in it, they immediately began trading the weather, which has some significant additional moisture in it for the next 10 days for key areas of the Midwest that are currently dry. That's a pretty hard sell-off, though, isn't it? It is, and uh, this is a day the algorithmic traders, the computers are trading momentum, and so when we head in one direction, they're going to amplify the move. In the old days, it might have been a three or four cent move. Now it's a double digit move because of that. They'll take it too far in both directions. Uh, the heat is still in the forecast for next week, although with increased rainfall, you have more cloud cover. Uh, you tend to reduce the intensity of the heat. Uh, the overnight low temperatures are still going to be high. We still have some risks ahead of us. Um, And, in fact, we could still do significant damage to this crop, but we do not yet have any evidence that we're going to do enough damage to offset the big surplus we're carrying over into the next year, and uh, so the markets are trading on that. Now, I noticed a comment from you this week about the fact this was the second hottest June 1st through July 10th, second only to 1988. With our new hybrids, with our... uh, really tricked out corn, I guess, that you might say that we have today compared to all of those years ago. Is that an apt comparison anymore? Well, heat is certainly a risk for corn, but you're right. And I must say that's since 19 or the last 40 years of data, looking back at the last 40 years, heat is a concern, but when you have moisture, you're better able to handle that. Now it's been drier than normal for the Midwest Corn Belt since June 1, but we've had enough timely showers to keep the crop going. And I know there are isolated areas that have more significant problems, but the Midwest as a whole, the part, part of the problem is, is it's still warm waters off the west coast, and uh, that keeps your low pressure um, over the Midwest more and your high pressure over the west. If we were to cool off those waters more off the west coast, which they have been cooling of late, but that cooling has slowed, and uh, so if we were to cool those waters off, then we'd have more low pressure over the west and a stronger high pressure ridge over the Midwest. The way it is, we've had these temporary high pressure ridges over the Midwest that aren't quite strong strong enough to totally shut off the moisture. That's allowed the heat to come in, but also rains underneath of it. Uh, And uh, so overall, this crop still has good crop ratings. Speaking of good crop ratings, will we see come Monday a little bit of slippage though yet in the, I know that's going to be old news, but I mean, is that possible that we'll see the ratings slip a little bit on corn? They will. I do think that they will. Now, they normally slip this time of year into late August, um, but I would expect that we'll see a little bit more. We're putting some stress on these crops, and so I think the condition ratings will come down. I I do not expect enough of a decline this week to really be a big market mover. Uh, It's going to be the week or two after that that really is going to be uh, pivotal, and that's going to come down to how these rains play out over the next two weeks versus the heat. By a week or two. Now, you're talking about the fact that by, well, let's say, what, about the 20th of this month, you'll have much more of the United States corn crop in the midst of pollination, correct? Yeah, exactly right. And and one of the problems that we may see going forward is high overnight temperatures if they hold. I, I was just I was just going to come back to that. You referenced that a little bit earlier, and we have seen that making a difference in some years, making a difference if the temperatures weren't so hot overnight, it made a difference. 
2010 and 2011 were two years when we saw significant yield losses. And what that does is kind of make the plant continue to work all the way through the night Mm -hmm. and use up valuable energy to kind of just maintain itself rather than packing energy into the kernels. So that impacts depth of kernel when you have that. And it's very hard to pick up in the ratings. You really don't pick it up until you get in the combine. So that's one of the things we'll have to be watching if we if we continue to see high overnight temperatures through the grain fill period. You made a good point in that we do most often see a decline in the condition rating of the corn from here on out into, what, the, the last days of August. But that doesn't happen every year either, does it? No, it doesn't. It certainly doesn't. Our really high-yielding years, we see the ratings just kind of hold steady right, and stay this high all the way through. Um, and uh, then some years when it looks bad, they'll decline sharply, and then we'll find out it's not as bad as thought, and they'll come up at harvest times. we find the yield results are better than expected. But the longer-term trend is your highest ratings are early in the season. They trend lower into August and then do a little bit of a bounce at harvest. We noticed there was a reduction in feed usage for corn in this report. That might surprise some folks a little bit, just thinking what we saw a few days ago in a, in a hogs and pigs report. How much of this is, how much of any of it would be attributable to euthanasia of livestock? Well, that's kind of the thinking, and not just that, but we saw feeders also pull back on the feed that they were giving the animals, trying to slow them down. That was more of a protein factor than an energy factor, Um, but between euthanizing animals and changing the rations, that accounts for the change in feed usage. Uh, USDA was overinflated on its new crop feed usage number anyway, and so when the June 30th stocks report forced it to lower its old crop feed usage, that pretty much forced its hand on the new crop as well. Was there also a reduction in the um, ethanol usage? What what did that show in terms of the the supply-demand numbers? Yeah, USDA lowered its uh, ethanol use of corn by another 50 million to 4.85 billion bushels. That matches my estimate now. We've been down in that area now for uh, really since April, and uh, USDA has brought its numbers down to us. Uh, we think that's a fairly stable number. In fact, it may bounce back up a little bit if we continue to see driving come back a little faster than expected. I'm not ready to go there yet with the increased coronavirus numbers because we could have some more shutdowns yet, but I think the number now is a good number USDA is finally at. I was just going to ask you about that, though. I mean, I thought we were seeing a good rebound in the ethanol industry. In fact, haven't we seen corn usage for ethanol going up for, what, seven or eight weeks in a row now? Yeah, and I think it's actually close to, uh, yeah, nine or ten weeks. Uh, we're still down about 15% from where we were pre-COVID, um, so we're not back to where we were, but we're getting a lot closer. The question is, can we close that gap now finally to back to where we were prior to the shutdowns, or will we have some more shutdowns again, some regional shutdowns? I don't expect a national one. Some regional shutdowns in some highly populated areas to reduce gasoline consumption. That's the concern now that is the unknown. Eventually, it's possible that we could see uh, driving replace flying for many people, and we could see driving go above year-ago levels. That's one of the theories. We just... We should know a lot more over the next 30 days how that's going to play out. Wouldn't that be interesting to see? Are are our highways capable of handling it? I guess somebody somebody might ask. Switching over to soybeans, there wasn't too much friendly there in the, the Friday report, correct? 
No, but it was pretty much as we expected. Is a little bit more than what the board expected, but uh, we're still expecting the USDA to eventually have to lower its new crop export target. I think it's got its old crop export target pretty close to where it needs to be right now. It might be a tad high, um, but we think the USDA is a little too optimistic on new crop exports, particularly with the large production in South America. USDA added another couple million metric tons to this year's Brazil crop. And uh, I think that'll eventually lead to adding some to their new crop as well. Uh, with uh, it's being very profitable to grow soybeans and corn in Brazil with their weak currency relative to our dollar. Right. Finally, wheat. Uh, boy, we are seeing the rally continuing. We are. We're seeing production losses uh, in the United States, obviously, um, because of the lower acreage. But also Argentina is struggling to get their crop in and establish further harvest here in six months. Uh, we're also seeing lower production estimates coming out of Russia, the Black Sea region, out of France and Europe as a whole. Um, and so can, overall, we're lowering production estimates. We've seen the highest of, of the, the most bearish of the supply numbers. That's turned the market around. Uh, does it justify a sustained rally? Probably not without help from the corn market. We're not getting that today. The Chicago wheat's still going higher, kind of correcting some of the spreads. But overall, I think wheat needs higher corn prices to sustain the move. Many of us are often surprised at how quickly a rally of the wheat market develops or how, how quickly we can go from a hand-to-mouth existence to a surplus. But I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering how much of this rally has been an emotional rally or even maybe a fundamental rally based on the coronavirus, the pandemic around the world. And a lot, a lot of it's technical. As you turn the corner and they feel like the worst is in, the funds come in. Uh, the algorithmic traders are trading the momentum in it, and they'll take it too far in both directions. Coronavirus did change consumption. It certainly hurt our demand for corn by shutting down demand for ethanol. It certainly hurt our demand for feeding as well. Um, it increased our flour consumption demand in some cases as people want to eat more bread when they're at home, more cereal, etc. Um, so it did change consumption patterns from that standpoint, uh, and uh, we're learning a lot about how um, those consumption patterns differ from where they were 30 or 40 years ago, maybe, when we face things that make us stay at home. Good to talk to you as always, Arlen. We sure appreciate it. Thank you. You bet, Max. Great to visit again. Arlen Suderman at StoneX Group. In some other of the agricultural market activity, uh, President Trump yesterday or today said he is not currently thinking about negotiating a phase two trade deal with China as relations between Washington and Beijing have soured over the pandemic and other issues. Uh, the president, who was asked by reporters aboard Air Force One about the possibility of a second phase trade deal following implementation of the phase one agreement this year, said, quote, I don't think about it now, adding that he has many other things on his mind. But he did say the relationship with China has been severely damaged. They could have stopped the plague. They could have stopped it. They didn't stop it according to remarks by President Trump. The uh, county fair season getting underway. It's already underway in some parts of the country, and the uh, state fair season also um, shortly upon us. 
and the postponements and cancellations of those and the other agricultural events and activities are going to make this a very different summer and fall from the standpoint of farmers and ranchers and people getting together. And the COVID-19 infections among U.S. meat, poultry, and processing workers affecting a large population, according to a report from the CDC. The uh, animal processing industry employs an estimated 525,000 workers in about 3,500 facilities across the United States, according to the report. And the president of the American Farm Bureau Federation, Zippy Duvall, is also on the positive list after a corona test. And uh, he is staying sequestered, or I should say hunkered down at his farm in Georgia and uh, not doing much in the way of activity at meetings. Terry Moore, his spokeswoman at uh, the American Farm Bureau, said he's in good shape and is doing okay, but he too a victim of the pandemic. So a quick look at the closing prices uh, today, and uh, we first of all look at the grain market. The one bright spot, really, as Max and uh, Alan talked about too, has been the wheat market. July wheat ended the day up 14 and three quarter cents. It'll start trading Monday at the at five dollars thirty five and a quarter cents. July corn down nine and three quarter cents today, and July soybeans down nine and a half cents today. The lean hog contract for August uh, ended down 47 cents a hundredweight, but cattle did end higher. The August cattle contract up 92 cents, and the August feeder cattle contract up a dollar 22 cents. And once again, we're out of time. But as always, I thank you and Max and Alan for joining us here, and have a safe week and they and i hope a better week in the markets than we may have seen this past week so i'm orion samuelson saying thank you for joining us on the markets